Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a Today's little bit guest about is what an they've old done friend of mine, and how Florette I know Sweeney. Them. And her story is one of the most interesting stories I know. You'll hear that she's 90 years old, that she's a nun, but a nun with a mission of being in the world and with people. I came to know Florette through our connection at Self Design Graduate Institute, where we're both on the faculty, and actually she's one of the founding principals of SDGI. Her program, which I knew as Sound to Symbol, is one of the most innovative, holistic approaches to music and especially to language that I've ever come across. And you're going to hear her talk about that in great specifics as we go along. Florette's warmth and generosity of spirit is evident in everything she says and does. Ninety years young now, Florette has traveled the country and the world in order to gain the understanding, insight, and experience that has allowed her to bring a program that not only works with children of all ages, but even with deaf children, in order to understand and participate in language and music together. I'm so happy that Florette is joining us today. Welcome, Florette, and thank you so much for being on Meetings with Remarkable Educators. And I've been just inspired and thrilled by our relationship over these past several years, and I'm very, very honored to have you as our podcast guest. Well, I sure appreciate having had the chance to get to know you and Josette very, and your work. A pretty, and I'm just, I'm just grateful. That's all. And you've been guest at our house, and so you know my kids and grandkids, too. So, yes. And all of them send their very best regards to you. Yes. And, and, and actually, Bob, I was, uh, the fact that you um, really seemed to understand the perspective that I brought into education was also, was also made me comfortable. And that, I appreciate that because so many people, as soon as they hear music, the word music or singing, they'll say, oh, I can't carry tune or I can't sing. And then they automatically exclude everything else that goes, you know, as a result of what we do. Well, I I was struck and understood immediately. You know, I, I hold that consciousness and awakening consciousness is the basis of all happiness, self-knowledge, and, and health in the world. And I'm struck by your work at how many different parts of a child's consciousness this simple and profound program brings, as well as teaching one of the most important cultural skills we have, not only music, of course, and care for that, but more deeply in terms of our culture, the verbal linguistic skills. So maybe it's best if we jump into some of the specifics right away. Would that be okay with you? Oh, yes, I'd like to. Whatever, whatever you feel is good. I'm, I'm really happy to just see how the f- things flow because, as I said, this is a brand new adventure, and I'm excited to be, be trusted to be on it. <laughs> so tell us, tell us then about Sound to Symbol. Tell us about some of the specifics of the program. Well, I'd have to, in order to to answer that or to respond to that. I have to um, go back to the to, to the core of of the um, the work that we started when I first heard about the the work of Zoltan Kodai through the work of Mary Helen Richards in um, and the, she was the one who um, took Kodai's the method the music method. I was a music teacher, but a piano teacher. That was what I was doing. And, and, um, and for our listeners, uh, Florette, if you would, give us a date when that, when this uh, movement towards, uh, when this change happened for you. 
What, say that, excuse me, just say that one more time. In other words, what, how, how old were you and what year was it when you started? Uh, that, my, first, my first encounter was a trip to Hungary with Mary Helen Richards in 1967. And the purpose of that was for me, and was I would say, uh, she had developed a, an adaptation of, of his program and of his music education program in Hungary. And Zoltan Kodai's, he was, his first degree was in linguistics. And because of his knowledge of the, uh, the, the undergirding of oral language, the, the Hungarian oral language, that was the seed that made him stay in Hungary rather than move about and look at the um, folk music or the, the music of other cult, other languages. And when he and, and Mary Helen, uh, and she would be the, she would be the, she was the very first to admit that she didn't realize this when she adapted the program, the music education program, and adapted his sequence of music concepts. She adapted those in, and applied them for teaching music. And, and she, did, she missed the whole point of the connection between singing and speaking. And that which was Kodai's whole um, essential point. At, what is that point? The, the point of the fact that in speaking, anyone who speaks, anyone who speaks is using oral sound, the elements of oral sound, that when we sing, if I, if I say hello I, and speak it, and I look at the analysis of that on the acoustic analysis program, and you look at it from the point of view of duration, the long sounds and the short sounds, or you look at it from the point of view of, of the um, overtone series and, and the, where, where, does the, where is the pillar of, of, of overtone the, the clearest? It's on this long syllable, the long vowel in hello, on the low, and the hell, hell is, a, is reduced. So it has to do with duration, it has to do with with um, with the uh, dynamics, the loudness and softness, and so the only difference when you when I sing hello, hello, the only difference to that is the uh, the presence of breath energy, and so and that that's so there everything in my speaking right now is present. If I sang, everything in my speaking right now is present, you know, any tune at all. <laughs> the only beautiful. difference is the only difference is breath energy. And the and so that I mean to me physically. And so there when I when I look at, at the what that involves in play for example, now I'm I'm I, that is that clear that much that much is clear okay uh, take us to take us to the actuality of the program okay then so in order to find um in order to find songs he told mary helen the code i told mary helen you have to find songs that you have to deal with what he the anacrusis now the anacrusis in speaking the unaccented the the articles or the prepositional phrases, the 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 to the store, the to and the the are prepositional phrase and the store. So to the store, Hungarian language does not have those unaccented syllables. They have only not. They don't have prepositional phrases, and they don't have articles in their speaking. Uh, Hungarian and fin Finnish and, um, and uh, Estonian. Those languages are totally, totally different from the Germanic languages that, 
that were prevalent in the in the Austro-Hungarian Empire when uh, Kodai was living. And so the there the what that did to them to the program was he told her you've got to find a way of dealing with the anacrusis, with they, these unaccented syllables. And so we had to find songs. And that had this, so when you, if you take, like, the farmer in the dell, the farmer in the dell, hi-ho, the dairy-o, the farmer in the dell, that the farmer, where's the farmer? In the dell, if I speak it. And if I sing it, the farmer in the dell, so that in the, 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 the they're, they're less, accented, totally, totally foreign gathering of sounds to Hungarian. So that was, and that has been the, uh, that has been the core of, of getting songs that will allow us to, um, to highlight the characteristics of spoken English. I see. So we're going to use these, uh, we might say, common or, or ordinary songs, but the ones that allow us to participate in it from the English language in order to learn more about or to sort of participate in where the emphasis are, the syllables. Is that a fair paraphrase? Yes, yes. And now I ha you have to be careful about the English because um, I, in Canada... If you go to Newfoundland, they they speak English totally differently from from the way they do in Vancouver, for example. Uh, it's the same if down in Texas. If I went to Texas, they speak English quite different from the way you and I are speaking right now. The one thing, the the language, the English language, that the people of Canada hear everywhere, is on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And the, the language that you and I are speaking right now is it would be, it would fit just fine into in the public radio in the States. People, that, they're, it's, they're, that is pretty universal in the States, that kind of English. And so, and in Canada... CB, I say jokingly, I say we teach CBC English, but it's not that. It's just a way for people to realize we're not looking at the the acoustic idioms of different areas. We're just looking at something that is common for us to at least to hear. Take us, take us into the actual program. So you come there, and there's a group of. First graders, third graders, fifth graders. Oh, we can. We, and, or as I'm work, working right now with a group of adults. A group of adults. And what do you what do you do? What specifically are you doing? The core, the absolute fundamental core, are what we call folk song games. And I have to clarify the word folk because it's not folk from an ethnomusicological perspective. Though by that I mean the songs that a particular a folk, a group of people, a particular area of the country sang in for, for, from generation to generation. But what it is, the, the word folk, is the, it's a description of the type of community that knows one another. They live in, they share a common space, they share common activities. They have things in common, and they create this. So it's that social uh, awareness of one another that uh, we call we we call they, it's it's their folksy. You can that's what the folk means. Okay. And now the song I say it, it's a song game. The the song and I put a hyphen. This is my own concoction, the way to write this folk song game. And that is the core. We have about 150 of them. And they play, whoever, whether you're an adult or a, or a child, you play these games to start with. And what exactly is the game? Okay. That the easiest way to talk is to, to talk one specifically. And so 
Um, I, I, for example, um, I, just what I did with the early childhood, uh, we have an early childhood program, uh, training pro- education program in Vancouver, and I teach the, I have a, we have a class every Monday, and I'm teaching them on Zoom from here. <clears throat> so last week, uh, the week before last, we did a, a game, it was called Bluebird, and the they make a circle, and and we have, and then I'll sing, Bluebird, bluebird through my window, bluebird, bluebird through my window, bluebird, bluebird through my window, oh, bluebird, aren't you tired? Now, the song tells everything about the, what, the, the duration what the timing of things. As soon as the song begins, the windows, the windows are the the spaces between the people in the circle. And so the windows go up. And whoever's the bluebird goes in and out the window. It starts flying through the window. And so, and it keeps coming in and out and in and out through the windows until the song ends. And when the song ends, the windows close, and the bluebird is in front of is, is in front of one of the people, and and the, and the blue and then asks that person, "Would you like to be the bluebird, the next bluebird?" And that that person will say, "Yes, please," or "No, thank you." And so let's pretend they say, "Yes, please." So they take change places, and as soon as the song starts, the windows go up. And the little bird goes flying in and out and in and out and in and out. Now, that's a very, very simple example of a folk song game. Okay. Then what happens? Then what happens? Uh, that, I mean, that's, that is the game. And so when I'm talking with the, the student, the adult students, so that they can understand, I have a, an icon. I, if, if we were on a computer, I could show you my icon that I use, and it has, it's a star. And one of them, we look at what sensory motor engagement does that little game, what does it engage, how are the children, the players, no matter they're children or adults, what sensory motor, what's an example of of what sense tells them to uh, uh, directly connects with the movement. And so, well, obviously, right away, uh, their hearing, the sense of, of hearing, tells the windows when to go up. Or when uh, and when uh, and if they stay up, how long it tells the duration. And then, so that's just one example of it. Is there any visual that governs the movement? And in the spaces between, and that's a learning. That's a real learning for people to be able to go in and out and in and out without banging the, you know, one another. And um, then you can look at. So you look at the different senses. The only two senses that are not involved are smell and taste. Okay. And then, and another thing. Then another point of the star is called social emotional engagement. Now, what social, what social um, um, engagement goes on here? And so, for example, just carrying on a conversation. Would you like to be the next bluebird? And the, and then the response: Yes, please, or no, thank you. That that would be an example of learning. How experiencing a, how to carry on a conversation, and and that's just one example. And we'll go through the and and then the another point on the star is what cognitive engagement is it is there. So and so we look at sequencing, for example. They see the, this is a real learning strategy. I mean, a real learning. Uh, for little children, the preschool children, to go in one window and back out the next one and in. 
so that their the space learning that sequence, they learn, you know, the, and and then I might say, how many bluebirds had a turn today? We have we had twenty. We played for twenty minutes. How many bluebirds had a turn today? And we could, and then we we remember so that we're looking back at and counting the people who were the bluebirds. That's just a simple example. And then what music? Well, the music is is the singing. We don't go into with little tiny ones who we're not going to go so me so me so la so many right away. But they are learning the structure of that that uh, music structure. They are learning the how to listen to the be- beginning and the end and durate all of the duration things connected with the music and the singing. Again, and then the, the game does not include the written, the writing, which, and there's a whole system of, of um, study, song study techniques. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them. And I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. This story is called Changing Our Vision. There was a very wealthy man who was bothered by severe eye pain. He consulted many physicians and was being treated by several he did not stop consulting a galaxy of medical experts. He consumed heavy loads of drugs and underwent hundreds of injections. But the ache in his eyes persisted with more vigor than ever before. At last, a monk, who was supposed to be an expert in teaching such patients, was called for by the suffering man. The monk understood his problem and said that, For some time he should concentrate only on green colors, and not to let his eye fall on any other colors. It was a strange prescription, but he was desperate and decided to try it. The millionaire got together a group of painters and purchased barrels of green paint, and directed that every object his eye was likely to fall upon be painted green, just as the monk had directed. When the monk came to visit him after a few days, the millionaire's servants ran with buckets of green paint and poured it on him, since he was in a red dress, lest their master see any other color and his eye ache would come back. Hearing this, the monk laughed and said, If only you had purchased a pair of green spectacles worth just a few dollars, you could have saved these walls and trees and pots and all the other articles, and also could have saved a huge share of your fortune. You cannot paint the world green. Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators, and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, That's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. When you came uh, to to, uh, SUMA, um, we did song maps. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, Song maps, as I recall, we had uh, first you... Uh, did bluebird with dots kind of at each syllable was it now those were the song there are there just now these that that um <clears throat> that is that you've moved into this the the, uh, the points of the study of the song and so there there's written there oral study which we've done just verbally here and then we do i'll make a map Let's let's pretend, and now let's pretend you you're, that you're 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 just feeling the song. 
we're just no, we're not playing the game. And you get you can take your hand, whatever hand you want. Pretend you're directing the orchestra, or pretend you're just feeling the song with your hand. And so when the song starts, are you ready? And you get your hand up, and it moves, bluebird, bluebird, through window, and it keeps moving and feeling with the blue with the bluebird thing, flying in the air. Now, bring your finger down to the paper on the floor. Ah, yes. And now, feel the song. And you, and you, the pen doesn't get, your pen doesn't get off the paper. It just feels the song. And you, and you do exactly, so you transfer from the outside movement, and then you move it down to the paper, and you feel it, and look at that. Now, you better find out where some, and, and depend, it, it so depends on the children. That's why you do this type of thing over and over again. And I ask, I'll ask the children, uh, do you know where you started? Because some will make circle after circle after circle and get it all. Can you find the place where you started? And put a, just put a little X there to remind you. And so they put an X there. Now, let's see if you can, if you can read your map again as you sing the song. And so they'll find out that they that they sometimes they're when they're reading the map, because the pressure on the paper is different, they oftentimes they did you stop at the end? Oh I noticed and I'll say I'll say I noticed that someone kept on going after the song, but when you were making it, it just fit the song. So let's try it again to see if it can still fit. And then, and then if they want to do it again, let's now, let's just turn the paper over and make another map because they'll see it's easier to keep the line separate. I see. So, and when you did it with us, though, um, there was this emphasis on syllables. Yeah. Okay. Now that's the, that, the, the, the one of the, if I might mention the mapping, one of the things that over the years we learned, I learned, was I see I was when I we first started this. What I thought, as did Mary Helen, I thought that the phrases of the song were the first thing that the children perceived. But over experimenting, we found really that they felt the whole song first, and that's when mapping came into being. We started first with phrases, thinking that that's what they heard or perceived first. That would be bluebird, bluebird, through my window. Bluebird, bluebird, through my window. Bluebird, bluebird, through my window. Oh, bluebird, aren't you tired? So it's a short, short, long. There are structures about many, many, many of our songs that are similar. Like the farmer in the dell, the farmer in the dell. Hi-ho, the dario, the farmer in the dell. That's a short, short, long. And so, that, so now when we move to the, the whole, that's where the mapping came into being. Now, can you pretend, can you pretend you don't know the words of Bluebird? Sure. Let's pretend. And so we're going to just sing it with our, like this. Da, 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 da. Ready? And then we'll do it. And we, we, and we call, and we get, did you notice that your tongue moved every single time you were singing a syllable? Da, 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 da. And they'll notice that their tongue was tapping on their, on their, in their mouth. Now, can you make your finger tap with your tongue? Da, 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 da. And then, see, and now let's try it. What if you take a pen? And make the pen. What's going? What's going to happen when you use a pen, and you leave dots? It's great. It's great. We had so much fun doing that, and I'm talking about the staff as well as the students. Yes. Just uh-huh. so much fun making song maps and trying to figure it out. And one of the things that that happens now, we're, I mean, how many times do we sing Bluebird in this song? And so we'll sing it. How many times do we sing the word bluebird? How many parts does bluebird? How many times does your tongue go? Da, da, two, 
And so they figure out, so here, we're going around this star again, looking at the cognitive, counting, you know, one-to-one relationship, fundamental one-to-one relationship. And then let's put a circle. Can you find, so we have bluebird, bluebird, that's two, and then four, and then six, and so on. Oh, bluebird, and you get the seven. Now, can you find all the bluebirds and put the bluebirds in a circle? Make a little nest and put them in. And so they'll go through their dots and put them out, put the... And if they're little children, they don't know how to read the words, but you can write, you can print the bluebird, the word bluebird, and put a dot underneath the blue and a dot underneath the bird. And they make the, they get to see how the syllables work. Well, and then at the end, I mean, after we the the uh, the um, exercises were fun, the dancing was fun. Yes, we laughed a lot, and then you had us roll out a newsprint. Yes. And all of us made one big song map for the whole class together. And then I watched it when you did with uh, students of various ages. And again, I they just at that point they felt. I guess the only word I have is empowered and connecting music and language. And it was just, it was just, you could feel it in the environment. It had a different feel that there was a comfort with language. Yes. I you see now that's what, what you're describing is what I have tried. I've tried to, to, to express that and in the in the sixth point of the star, in it's called the aesthetic experience. There, I really do believe what the way you're the language you just used. There's a feeling that it's an overall feeling that I really do believe it corresponds to that lovely feeling that we get when we see a beautiful picture a beautiful painting, or this morning our sunrise was absolutely unbelievable. Well, and what we've done then is we've bypassed all the tension about learning language and can you spell and Mm -hmm. all of that. And we have found, and, and I noticed it again and again, we found in ourselves that we have the very structure and the way we speak not only connects us to music, but the, it's implicit. That is, all we have to do is find it where we're already at. It's not some external learning about something, but actually participating, and then the knowledge, if you will, or the connection, I guess, yes. to to the language as well as to the music just yes. kind of seems natural and appears. Yes, and to one another. And to one another, yes. Yes, yes because the... the, the the, the, that's what I, to me it's the social the, the building up of that sense of there's no you know don't look at my work <laughs> yes and I watched all these grown ups and it would seem like well there were these really simple little dances and I know that you have how many songs in your repertoire hundreds right Oh, 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 it's over a hundred. And and then each one has its own movements to it. And That's right. I know we almost fell over laughing when we were doing London Bridges. That was just a riot. And then, then there's another thing that I, that I, I know that we I see they're connecting. There's another thing that's connected with them. I did, did I tell you about the deaf? About what? About the, work, about the work with the deaf. Oh, the deaf. No. Uh-uh. Oh my goodness. But uh, it this was this is it is it's different. Um, Mariam Allen was a teacher of the deaf in uh, San Mateo County again in California, and uh, in the in the early seventies, and she was her degree was a master's from Stanford in speech. Pathology. She was a speech pathologist, but she didn't want to teach the deaf how to form the words, you know, how to do that. Right, I understand. She wanted to teach them school. So she had a class in, uh, they would have been 9, 10, 11, 12, that age, you know, to, of deaf children. Just deaf, and she used the song games. Now, they never learned to sing, and 
this and so this is such a significant insight that has just revolutionized the way teachers also have engaged with the song games. That's why it's kind of a, it's really quite important. But one day, one of our songs, Punchinella. Yes, it, I know. I it. Sure, I remember. Okay. And so it, I'll just read to sing the song. Oh, look who's here, Punchinella, Punchinella. Look who's here, Punchinella from the zoo. And then there are four verses. What can you do? And who do you choose? And, and we can do it too. And, and who do you choose? And so on. Okay? So it's a kind of like fault, but Punchinella is in the center of the circle. And the deaf children had enhanced hearing and she had enhanced speaking. But she, they never learned to, to um, sing. And she heard the speech pathologist at the back of the classroom teaching them how to count out loud. And they were in the 20s. And this stroke of genius on her part, she, she has she's since died, but oh, now she, it, it, they, what she heard in the, tw- in the 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, she heard Panchinella. Oh my gosh. In 27, four syllables, da 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 da, and the long syllable is the third one. Punchinella, four syllables, and the long syllable is the third one. Isn't that an amazing connection? Yes, yes it is and and it speaks to what I've the most to me the most impressive thing about this whole impressive approach is how how it touches us in in our wholeness how it touches us in so many places and while I'm delighted to hear what you're having to say about the deaf I'm not surprised in the sense that this this approach touches us in our wholeness and so we're going to find some way to connect well and that christmas she, um, she, the, the, the death, to the Christmas present for their families was to say Merry Christmas. You see, that's a 27. That's a da-da-da-da, Merry Christmas. And one day I went to her classroom, and the two little guys, they had, they had, um, they were having a competition. How many phrases could they were? They uh, each of them had uh, underneath the. They had chalkboard in those days, and underneath there was there was the um, rolled out paper, and each of them had their paper stuck up with masking tape, and they were writing the the uh, phrases that they had. Mrs. Allen is a twenty-seven. That was her name, Mrs. Allen. And, and they were seeing who could find the most 27s. And uh, Mrs. Allen, and um, there was a singer, I forget his name, but put your coat on. Uh, take your seats now. Uh, have your breakfast. Eat your breakfast. And all it's, how, many, how many things could they find that were 27s? Isn't that wonderful? It is. It is. And... And I'm sure there's many examples, but I know a little bit about your personal story, Florette, and I think it'll be very inspiring for what inspired me. So obviously, I think it'll inspire <laughs> the rest of you listening. But um, l- let me ask some questions yeah. here. So one of them is: I know that when you went to Hungary in 1967 to to learn about this. Um, that you had to go undercover. Is that correct? I had I had to take my habit off. I took I, I flew to New York and took my habit. At that time, I was in the full religious habit, and I was one of the very first ones. It was before just 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 after Vatican II, and I and I was one of the very first ones to take off her habit and go to Hungary. I see and. Tell us, tell us the tell us the order that you're part of. It's the Sisters of Charity of Halifax. The Sisters of Charity of Halifax. Yeah. 
And so you couldn't go into Hungary at that time behind the Iron Curtain because That's right. you couldn't go inhabit. We had no diplomatic relationship. Uh -huh. And then, so did you travel as an ordinary citizen or did you have to do more cloak and dagger? I traveled as an ordinary, I traveled, I see, um, Mary Helen, we, uh, we were Kodai's guests and he died the month before. And, but we were still considered his guests. There were, there were five, six music teachers in the States that the publisher was, they paid for them. The publishers paid for them. And my congregation uh, paid for me. I was the only independently paid person because I wasn't there to be a salesperson, being trained to be a salesperson. Okay, and how long were you in Hungary uh, at that time? We were there for about a month. You were there for a month, and that's when all and this... And, in a, and Hungary is, is, a, a, it is a, a core Catholic country. And so they had this... this uh, and Kodai, there's an enormous contribution that he made to the country during the... Um, during the, the the takeover of the communist takeover and the revolution in 50, if the revolution was in 56 and they went into the hills and his songs and his, his influence was enormous. And so what they had the the one of the weeks that uh, the one of the, that month that I was there with Mary Helen and the other teachers, it was called a month's mind. And it was like a crash course in they had, and we were provided with interpreters for every lecture. And I went to so many classrooms and we went to the List Academy and we saw and we heard lecture after lecture. But on the streets, we couldn't speak openly, speak English openly. I was there for May 1st the May 1st parade of the Communist Party. Wow, that's that's so rich. Now, when you came back, is that the last time? Were you now done with the habit entirely? Or when did the... No, no, I, 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 when I, 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 had sent, I had sent my habit to Rome. And so that when I came, when we came out of Hungary, uh, Mary Helen and her younger, little, her youngest daughter, Robin, and I, we went to Rome, and, and her husband, Ricky, we, the, the, four, the four of us went to Rome, and my habit was there, and I put my habit on there. Okay, but and now, though, when did your order decide to let the habit go entirely? Oh, I was in, <laughs> that's so funny, the, uh, then we had a, what was called a modified habit, and the and after after the big heavy black one, the black surge one. See that that June, uh, we came back, and that June, I was there's such a huge convoluted story about me, but the I I was hunting for a um, a university to to finish my my uh, undergraduate degree. I had done the music stuff with Toronto, but I I and so. I was hunting for a university, so I asked Mary Ellen if uh, she was going to be teaching anywhere. And so when we came back from Hungary, uh, she was going to teach at NYU in June in New York, Greenwich Village, New York. I know it well. And, um, and she was doing a course, and I, but because I didn't have my undergraduate college degree at the time, I had only the associate degree from Toronto, and I had only one year of formal uh, undergraduate college at the time. They wouldn't let me take her course. So I was hired by her, by them, as her assistant because I'd been in Hungary. <laughs> and so we taught together at MIU in June 1967. And I was oh, I've never was never so hot in my life because I had that big black habit on. And then I finally was able. We started a degree at at College of the Holy Names in California, a master's degree, and it was called 
Kodai Richards. And I went to California and I lived with Mary Helen and her family in, in the Corte Madera School. And I did my master's there in, and my, I'm one of, I think of four or at most five people who have a master's from the College of the Holy Names in Kodai Richards. <laughs> and, and so a lot of this work, of the initial work that was done, I was, I was doing it um, at Corte Madera School where Mary Helen developed the, the uh, threshold to music, which was the adaptation. What I'm, what I'm interested in here, though, Florette, is I met you at Self-Design Enhanced Graduate Institute. And that is not a religious uh, place, and it's a place dedicated to consciousness, to emergence, and to a way of participating in the universe, or participating in life, I guess I should say, that allows, you know, that doesn't, that isn't pro or against religion at all. And yet you fit right in there. <laughs> and you have a wonderful openness to to what we might say postmodern and even integral understanding that allows uh, this emergence and this awakening of knowledge and holistic understanding. So how did you get from, I'm in this black surge habit in Corte Madera, California, <laughs> to there? And I'm not so much interested here in I went to this place or that place, but I'm more interested in the journey in your consciousness that allowed this to happen. Um, that's a tough question because um, it's um, I I I re I just I don't know. I really don't know. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> I I mean it, it's just. I'm a, I am a, I am, a, I am incredibly much. I, one of the things I know I am is a learner. Oh, you are, you are, you are absolutely. I mean, that to me, that's the one adjective. And the other thing that I give myself as I've recognized, I am an observer. And so, because I know people have told me, and I, I really do, I see um, I, I've got a gift. It's a gift of, of uh, being able to see things that others don't see. I mean, one of our, our apprentices, Mary Helen and I used to travel around with our apprentices, you know, back and forth across the continent. And... Um, and well, Peggy Bennett has come to the uh, to the residency. She's retired now from Oberlin Conservatory, and Peggy was one of our first um, um, apprentices. And she said, "I never saw trees until I traveled across the country with you." <laughs> so it seems, though, that some of this thought and and what we might call traditional Catholic thought uh, don't go together. Have you ever felt a conflict around any of that? Well, do you know do you know anything about Vatican II? You know, not enough to say, uh, not enough to want to talk about it publicly. Well, you see, Vatican II was really it was it was the most fundamental reformation for within the Church itself. That it, I mean, there's been nothing like it since the Reformation that caused a big split. And it was, and Vatican II, um, uh, religious congregations of women, especially women, were, uh, we were challenged to go back to our original roots. And by that, and in our particular, and this is very, it is to me, is that a very significant challenge to us was to go back to our original roots. So what were our original roots? And um, back in the, in the 1600s, Vincent de Paul was a priest, and he had been grown up poor, 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 and he was, but he had become a priest, and he was the head of the Navy, the highest position. And he also was someone who um, was a confessor to the queen and all of the aristocratic women. And he had 
I don't want to go into the details, but you might call it a conversion in that he wanted to go and work for the sick poor in the streets of Paris. And his friend, Francis de Sales, they they used to talk about it. They wanted to get to do that. And so Francis de Sales wrote to Rome to get permission to start a group. Because at that time, women religious were all cloister. There was no no nobody. Right. Oh, I see. So it was to get the women out on the street and more involved with the community. And so Vincent, uh, Francis de Sales got permission, but they had, the nuns had to stay in their own property. So what Vincent did was change the fundamental rules of the way you take your vows from, and, and we were, and for 10 years they functioned, but as, uh, but they weren't religious, weren't according to canon law. He didn't get, he didn't ask permission. He changed it and, and so the peasant women, and so this is, this is what we were, this, he said, the city streets are your convent, and the parish church is your chapel. So then you were able then to go back to your roots in go this way. Go back to that, those roots. Go back to those to... roots and just step out right into this, into the world as yes, you found yes. it, and then just bring forth you, you, the deep, profound spirituality that was in your heart. Is that a fair it's way to say that? In, yes, I think so. All right. Well, Florette, thank you very, very much. <laughs> thank you, Bob. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.